Hello and welcome to Seeing Red. I'm Bethan. And I'm Mark. And a huge congratulations to last month's competition winner, Darren James. Well done, Darren. Darren has bagged himself a signed copy of the novel Midday by David B. Lyons, which will be winging its way to you very soon. And if, like Darren, you want to be in with a chance of winning some more exclusive goodies or seeing red merchandise, then head over to our Patreon page and become a supporter of the show. It's Mark's turn to tell us a story this week, so take it away. So this week's case represents a departure for us because I think it's the first time that we've ever covered GBH. Yeah, I think so. So today I'm going to be talking about a man who unleashed a campaign of terror amongst the gay communities of Edinburgh, Newcastle and Brighton when in 2015 he infected the first of 10 known victims with the HIV virus. This is a legally significant case because it's the first time someone in the UK has been convicted of deliberately trying to spread the virus. So there have been five prosecutions in this country where men have knowingly passed the virus on to a female partner. Um, and there's also been one case where a woman has passed the virus on to a male partner. But this is basically the first time where it's a man passing it to a man and it's a deliberate spread of the virus to multiple victims. This is just an absolutely horrific thing to even think up. And we cover some really horrible people on this show. And this just... Ugh. This is really messed up, isn't it? This really, really pissed me off. (laughs) And it's also a case that has highlighted the debate around the criminalisation of HIV transmission in the UK, with some HIV advocacy groups calling for the deliberate transmission of the virus to be decriminalised. That sounds ridiculous. Which is really weird. And their kind of motivation for that is that they say um, criminalising the deliberate transmission stigmatises people living with the disease so I think it's two completely separate things it's deliberately passing on I mean obviously I appreciate that nowadays it's not a death sentence but it's a lifelong disease that you're going to have to live with the consequence of having that accidentally given to you or accidentally contracting it and then having to live with it that is that must be very difficult for those people but there's not really a stigma I should I hope around that but of course it should be criminal to knowingly pass it on yeah i think it is complete G- gbh isn't it it is you if you sent anthrax in the post it would be classed as criminal so deliberately trying to injure someone this way sure, mm, that seems a bit really bizarre to me yeah and we'll we'll come on to that uh towards the end of the episode in a mm. bit more detail because i've got um there's some people from some of these advocacy groups giving their side of it in a bit mm-hmm. more detail so we'll come on to that but i think a really important part that you've just said is that um people that have hiv now it it doesn't hopefully carry the stigma that it carried perhaps say in the 80s or 90s or even 10 years ago when it, it was a death sentence back then mm. um, so somebody who's infected with HIV now could live a pretty healthy life with that virus and live a normal life expectancy so Daryl Rowe a hairdresser from Scotland was convicted of five counts of causing GBH and five of attempted GBH under the 1861 that's how old this is Offences Against a Person Act, and he was sentenced to life imprisonment in 2017. After infecting his victims with the virus, he would send taunting text messages telling them he was HIV positive and that he had, quote, got them. Ugh. And I think that's, I mean, obviously what he's done is the worst part of all of Mm. this, but deliberately taunting them is is just evil, isn't it? Yeah, it's like rubbing salt in a wound, like what the hell, 
sentencing him to a minimum term of 12 years at Brighton Crown Court. Judge Christine Hanson QC called his crimes a determined hateful campaign of sly violence. She said, the messages you sent make it crystal clear you knew exactly what you were doing. As well as the physical offences, it is clear for the victims the psychological effects are immense. I can't see how and when you will no longer be a danger to gay men. So who was Daryl Rowe then? Well, he was born in 1990 and taken into care soon afterwards, where he spent the first eight years of his life, moving around a number of different foster families, before being taken in by the people he would go on to call mom and dad, Jackie and Harry, a couple from Scotland who described him as very loving and desperate to be loved. Daryl would go on to live with his new parents until he was 19 and Jackie described him as a sociable, loving, lovable person and she also said that he was good company. So what went wrong? Absolutely. Mm. I think the damage was probably done in the first few months of his life or the first, certainly the first few years mm. of being passed around. Um, so although he never elaborated, it was made clear that he'd suffered physical abuse in early childhood. Okay. And at one point, um, apparently he'd been deliberately scalded with boiling water. Mm. And it's clear that he did have underlying issues from this sort of traumatic yeah. um, start to his childhood. So, yeah, it's probably not surprising, really, that when you're abandoned by, first of all, your, your real parents as a baby and then taken into care care and abused it's a recipe for disaster mm. sometimes not always but sometimes but then also you don't want to sound like you're making excuses either because there's plenty of people like I said sometimes because there's plenty of people who do come out of that absolutely fine and yeah it's a good point it sounds like he was a normal child for his parents as well for them to say things like he was just loving and wanted to be loved yeah Hmm. And I've seen pictures of him on holiday with his parents, with his foster parents, and it just looks like a typical happy family. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's, it's one of those unfortunate cases. Mm. So many of Daryl's victims described him as attractive. Some said he was toned. Others described him as hot. And he had no trouble when it came to finding sexual partners. Now, Bethan, you've seen what he looks like because you already put the collage on Insta. I and you're not happy with no, him, are you? I don't think he's that good looking and I don't like this whole he's hot and stuff like he's not bad he's not an ugly man just don't think he's as good looking as some people have tried to make him out to be I feel like it's easy though isn't it in the press you want to find like a reason like oh this really hot guy did this terrible thing but yeah no I suppose it doesn't do it for me it's another angle isn't it Mm -hmm. so what we'll do because we were hoping to release this last week um, so there was a bit of a delay. We'll try and get some more photos yeah, put we'll, up on oh, Instagram. I'll do, some, I'll do some new pictures. Do some new pictures and we'll get our listeners I mean, to decide. He definitely thought he looked good himself, though, because there's a few mirror shots and yeah. body photos. I mean, there's a six-pack to rival mine. <laughs> That's not difficult, though. <laughs> oh. oh, I'm sorry. That was a bit mean. Anyway, so <laughs> using various gay dating apps, including Grinder, which must now have a seriously bad reputation after the whole Stephen Port thing, mm. um, Daryl was able to contact literally hundreds of men and meet dozens of them. Daryl met one victim shortly after moving to Brighton in October 2015, telling him that he'd only just moved to the area and that he didn't know anybody there. Describing their first sexual encounter in a car, the man said he was frightened of Daryl but believed him when, following a conversation about their HIV status, um, Daryl said that he was free of the virus. 
In his taped police interview, he said, he asked for sex and I gave him oral sex. He asked for more and I said no, and he started to get angry. He wasn't threatening to punch me, he wasn't huffing and puffing, but he was saying, you need to do it if we're going to be together. I need someone who's spontaneous. And just because he's not threatening violence, that doesn't mean it's not intimidating and... Totally, yeah. yeah. The victim said, I was saying, I don't really want to do it. It's horrible to do it in the car in the middle of nowhere. The victim said I was getting angry. It was really horrible and I just felt like I had to do it. He later agreed to unprotected anal sex, but the two men stopped when a cyclist rode past. When the man refused to continue, Daryl told him, you've wasted my evening. I can't believe this. You've wasted my time. Daryl refused to get out of the car when the man drove him home and instead tried to bully him into having sex behind some bins. Oh, isn't, he's really classy, isn't he, this guy? Gosh. So romantic. Ugh. The victim said, it felt like an hour with him just going on and on. I felt very vulnerable. I didn't know anybody around. He said he believed Daryl was about to attack him. He said, I was thinking this is all going to happen and I'm going to have to go into work tomorrow and explain away a black eye. He was telling me this would all be over if you had just done it when I said and we had just carried on. The victim said he managed to get out of the situation by promising to meet Daryl a few days later. Then he did get out of the car and the victim cried all the way home, which is really sad. Mm, That's horrible. What a horrible image to have. He said he was not initially concerned about the risk of HIV as Daryl had promised he was clear, seemed healthy and they had intercourse for only a few minutes. He said he had last had a negative HIV test just days before having sex with Daryl and had no other partners in between. When he refused to meet Daryl again, he received a series of abusive text messages, including one saying, you've got an ugly, weird face. That coming from Daryl? Hmm. He later received a text from Daryl saying he was HIV positive and the victim would subsequently go on to test positive for the virus. This would prove to be a trademark for Daryl, taunting his victims after they'd had sex, abusing them and then telling them that he'd been lying about his HIV status and that they would now be infected too. Another victim had met Daryl in July 2015 after the pair had messaged on Grindr. Bravely waiving his right to anonymity in a recent BBC documentary entitled The Man Who Used HIV as a Weapon, this guy, a guy called Stuart, had agreed to meet Daryl at his flat for sex. He remembers arriving at Daryl's flat and being slightly put off by the area. He said it was really run down on a council estate on the outskirts of Edinburgh, but he proceeded to let himself into the flat as Daryl had requested. So he'd, he'd almost kind of thought, well... I don't know if I'm going to go ahead with this now that I'm here, um, but just made that kind of split second decision that, yeah, I'm here now, I'll, I'll kind of do it. Mm. Or at least like go in and meet the person that I'm due to go meet and just see, you know, he might be worth the, the crappy area. Yeah. Stuart asked him to use a condom and believed that he had until he looked down at the bed afterwards and saw the condom lying there unused. He said he knew it was unused because there was no semen uh, in it. Oh, you knew that would Sorry, Bethan, I know you out. hate that word. He immediately confronted Daryl, who accused him of being really paranoid, and Daryl then lied to him and said, look, don't worry, I did use it. As Stuart headed home on the bus, he checked his messages on Grinder, and Daryl, noticing that Stuart was back on the app, texted him to say, I can't believe you're on Grinder already, before viciously calling him a slag. Bit hypocritical, because he'd have to be on Grinder himself yeah, to see so, the messages. So hypocritical. Ugh. 
Eight days later, Daryl texted Stuart and said, you're a fucking revolting jackass. Ha ha ha, I took the condom off. This message was followed by a crying with laughter emoji, which I think just shows how calculating Daryl was. And childish. Yeah. And he told Stuart he was HIV positive and that he would now also be infected. A panicked Stuart went to get tested as soon as he received the messages and then faced the agonising wait for his results. In the BBC3 documentary that I watched, he said he recalled receiving a phone call from um, the sexual health clinic asking if he could pop in to discuss his results. And Bethan knows what that means, don't you, Bethan? You tried to say this last time we recorded <laughs> and still not true. So I didn't realise, guys, that they only write you if it's good news and they'll ring you if it's bad news. So if you get a phone call... That's worrying. And Stuart knew that. So he said he remembers thinking mm. that he must have tested positive as he knew the clinic would normally text the results if they come in back negative. Yeah. So they, yeah, they only ever phone and invite you in if it's positive. Oh, that's really horrible to then, but then it's not even like they phoned and told you, they phoned and invited you in. So then you've still got to wait until that appointment. And well, it, it kind of goes on actually because, um, when they phoned him and said, can you come in? Um, obviously he was really worried he fell silent and began to shake and nearly dropped the phone and um, basically he sort of said look is it what I think it is have I tested positive for HIV and to be fair to the nurse they confirmed over the phone that yes oh, that's you good. have that's a little like not good obviously at least you're not having that, to wait yeah Stuart said he was dumbstruck and just couldn't believe what he was hearing Scared that he may not be Daryl's only victim, he reported him to the police, but it would be many more months and many more victims later before they could eventually catch up with him and stop him in his tracks. Another victim, a man named Peter, said he spoke to Daryl online and the pair agreed to have unprotected sex after each again discussing their HIV statuses, both advising the other that they were negative. As with Stuart before him, Peter also received a text from Daryl a few days after the encounter saying he was HIV positive and that he also had a very high viral load. Peter asked Daryl if what he was saying was true and psychologically toying with him now, he deliberately left it a while before responding and even then Daryl was kind of skirting around the answer, goading Peter for bombarding him with messages asking if he was now at risk. <laughs> so he was kind of saying things like, oh, so you're happy to message me now or why should I answer you when you've ignored my last four messages no, when I can see of... that you're online and you read them? There's a bit of a difference between not messaging someone back after you've had a random one night stand and wanting to message someone back who tells you something like that. Yeah. Oh, I just hate this guy, Mark. But that, that's so cool. You know just, my feelings about this Daryl yeah. guy. Oh, I just but don't like him. Totally toying with him, yeah. you know, with his emotions. Daryl has been described by many of his victims as needy and high maintenance, and he would often taunt his victims by dropping this news and then ghosting them. He saw this as a way of getting back at them, as you kind of said, Bethan, and as I said, for not responding to his messages quickly enough, which is just a completely different thing. Uh, like, yeah, like what an exaggeration of like how you feel. <laughs> so this guy, Peter, just assumed that Daryl was being childish, as we kind of said, and he didn't believe his claims. So he, he blocked his number um, and he actually would go on to subsequently test negative for HIV. Oh, thank goodness. Um, so yeah, in a way, I suppose he was one of the lucky ones. In messages to another victim, Daryl said, I hope you enjoyed four of my loads. I have HIV, followed by a smiley face emoji. 
This was a month after the pair had met for sex and this is significant because Daryl always waited before taunting his victims and telling them that he had likely passed HIV to them. Had his victims known within 72 hours of risk of transmission, then they would have been able to seek medical treatment and would would have stood a really good chance of actually not becoming infected with the virus. So he deliberately waited so that it was too late. So once again, this shows how calculating Daryl was. There is no doubt with everything he's done that these crimes were absolutely premeditated. A number of Daryl's victims went to the same clinic to get tested and one man showed the nurse the messages that he'd received from Daryl. The nurse recognised the messages and realised that she had seen a patient before who this had also happened to. Knowing that patient had indeed contracted HIV, she advised this man that it was highly likely he too would have contracted HIV from this man. He took a test and faced an agonising 24-hour wait before being told that actually he too had tested negative. That's just, I mean, that was something I didn't realise when we first recorded this episode, um, that I just thought it was guaranteed. I didn't realise that you might contract it or you might not say what a relief for these people when they think to themselves, you know what, it's pretty likely. Like this guy yeah. wasn't lying before, so he he obviously isn't lying to me. But then to get that relief, you still feel absolutely violated though. Yeah, and I think, um, you know, these people have had unprotected sex. That's their choice. They've um, had a conversation around STIs, including HIV. Yes, they've done what they felt they've was They've made the an safe. informed decision, yeah. yeah. Um, so... You know, they've done nothing wrong, absolutely. And there is a high chance that you're going to contract HIV if you've had sex with someone who's HIV positive and there's no protection. But yeah, they're very lucky that that didn't happen. Another victim who bravely waived his right to anonymity and spoke in the documentary was a man named Lenny. He had met Daryl in October 2015. At this point, Daryl had moved from Scotland to Brighton as he knew Scottish police were looking for him. Telling his parents he was moving to Brighton because it was a gay capital of the UK and telling them that he'd also secured a job and a flat, they were pleased for him and Jackie, Daryl's mum, specifically remembers thinking this is just what he needed. Obviously she didn't know that a son was wanted by Scottish police at this time and the Scottish police did actually struggle to trace him once he'd moved. Um, Daryl didn't leave any kind of forwarding address, he had no bank account and he'd also changed his phone number. I mean, that's a bit weird not to have a bank account. Really weird at yeah, his age. Yeah, at that time. He'd have been in, early 20s. Yeah, and this sort of time as well. Like maybe way back when in like the 60s or something, you could get around things like that. But that seems very strange. And I think at this point when Daryl moved down to Brighton, the police, it wasn't like there was a warrant out for his arrest. The police were just mm. trying to locate him to speak to him. Yeah, because they'd have no proof of anything yet. No. So that's probably why his mom didn't know that he was wanted Mm -hmm. by the police, because in a way he wasn't. So the police probably hadn't turned up on her doorstep saying, where where is he? Or even if they had, they'd just be saying, we just need to speak to this person. And then... And he might have told her that it was about something else. Yeah, I witnessed a hit and run and I was a witness and that was it. So yeah, there's a lot of ways, especially because your mum's never going to suspect you of something. No. And, you know, to be fair, they'd had Daryl since he was eight. So, Mm -hmm. you know, to all intents and purposes, he was absolutely their son. So when Lenny went on Grinder and started chatting to Daryl, they exchanged pictures and arranged to meet, but Daryl was adamant about having unprotected sex and kept pushing this in his messages to Lenny. Lenny said if that's what he wanted, then he wasn't interested. After Lenny ignored Daryl's further messages, Daryl eventually relented and said that he would use a condom. 
Lenny recalls Daryl then just turning up at his house unannounced. Slightly perturbed and caught unaware, Lenny made a decision that would go on to affect him for the rest of his life. He answered the door and invited Daryl in. Lenny said he always thinks about that moment, that if he hadn't opened the door and let him in, he would not now be living with HIV because he was one of the unfortunate victims that did contract HIV from Daryl. When he let him in, Daryl tried to force himself on Lenny without the condom, but Lenny pushed him off and said that's not what we'd agreed on. He said he was very stern with him and told him that if he didn't use one, then there would be no sex and Daryl would be leaving. Daryl agreed and Lenny gave him the condom, which he saw Daryl put on, but what he didn't know at the time was that Daryl had managed to sabotage it by tearing the end off. As was the usual pattern with Daryl, he became a bit weird and possessive, insulting Lenny about being American, saying all Americans are flaky, and so after this encounter, Lenny did eventually block him. A week later, Lenny got a call from an unknown number, and we all dread those, don't we? Uh, I don't to a certain them. extent, yeah. yeah. The man at the other end said, How dare you block me, stupid American? You can't get rid of me, you're going to burn. I ripped the condom, I got you. Lenny realised who it was and questioned Daryl, asking why he would say that. Lenny hung up, and then Daryl called back, saying, I ripped the condom, I got you. Lenny didn't do anything straight away, but a few weeks after their encounter, he got really sick. Seeing his GP, he was prescribed some antibiotics and started to feel better, although still not 100%. Sometime later, he went to a sexual health clinic for a routine checkup, later receiving a call asking him to discuss the results. Similar to Stuart, another of Daryl's victims, he knew the clinic would only be calling him if one of his tests had come back positive. Lenny was with a friend who grabbed the phone from him and told them to tell him over the phone asking what is it and they did say again over the phone Mm. that it's come back with um, a positive result for HIV. Lenny said he felt so stupid having been duped by this man. He remembers thinking he had done something wrong and that his life was over. And this is really interesting because Lenny grew up in a very troubled household and both of his parents had actually died from AIDS. Wow. Yeah, his dad was a drug addict and his dad had passed on the virus to his mom, and that was back in the 80s when HIV and AIDS was a death sentence. So Lenny said his childhood was a really scary time. He grew up knowing um, that both of his parents were going to die and he kind of vowed to himself that he would never allow himself to be exposed to HIV. And to be fair to him, he he did everything he could. He was just, you know, then tricked by somebody. But he did do everything he could possibly have done. Yeah. And in the documentary, Lenny said that he felt like he'd been raped when he found out what Daryl had done to him. And he just could not comprehend how one human being could be so cruel to another. Yeah, I mean, this it is, it is Doesn't rape. that sum it up? Like, it absolutely is. It's, that is cruelty and... And it is a rape because it is you've agreed to have sex with someone in a certain way and they've done something to you that you didn't consent yeah. to so completely. Agreed, yeah. So Lenny went to the clinic the next day to discuss his positive result in more detail and the nurse asked him if he knew who he'd caught the virus from. So he told her that he was certain it was Daryl and described him as having a Scottish accent. He told the nurse about the phone calls and showed her the texts that he'd received. And um, she actually said we've had four other cases uh, where people have described the exact same thing, Scottish accent and everything else. 
He said he wanted to report it to the police and so on the 4th of February in 2016, with the support of the clinic, Lenny reported what had happened to Sussex police. Um, although other victims had come forward at this point, the police had very little information to go on because um, no one knew really kind of where Daryl lived mm. or anything. But Lenny was well, able photos, to tell them. He? He's got photos and he was mm. able to tell them where Daryl lived. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, he remembered where he lived and described it to them. So at this point, Sussex police arrested Daryl and questioned him under caution. So he was now wanted with infecting seven men with HIV, some in Brighton and some in Scotland. Daryl was living with a man at this time who he admitted he had been intimate with. His phone was seized and police saw he had targeted hundreds of men around the entire country using multiple dating apps. All men had to be contacted and the police and local health authorities actually had to issue a public health warning um, to warn others to come forward, Mm -hmm. which is, that just shows how many people that Daryl targeted. Well, I suppose like some people would be on sites like that with fake names and no contact information because they may be trying to keep something private or just... They don't want their name on there from work and stuff, so... And I think that's what's really interesting with this case, because, um, you know, obviously lots of men came forward, but I think there's probably a lot of men that never came forward because they didn't know, or because they just didn't want to know. Mm-hmm. Or because they may, may not then have heard about things, because they might have not been in part of, like, the normal gay community, so they may have just joined the app for some fun, and then got spooked or something or maybe they were married and they were doing it behind someone's back that and they may not then have been contacted yeah i mean they could have been tourists Mm -hmm. you know particularly in brighton even edinburgh yeah they could have been from abroad and you know they've slept Mm -hmm. with daryl had unprotected sex or what they thought was protected sex and then they've gone back to their home country and never heard of this again and i think that's the other thing if you really believed him you perhaps would see this on the news and think oh god good job I never got tricked by anybody like that not realizing that you did either like that's really tragic I remember when we were talking um before we were saying about how these um dating sites then have got quite a bad rap because Mm. it is like anonymous sometimes if you want it to be it can be you can have your face and stuff in the pictures but you also don't have to and there was that recent case with the guys that were being approached on Grinder to go and um, meet someone that they were going to have sex with in a car park or somewhere like that. And then they were being robbed. And there mm. was like three, like they were not, maybe not teenagers, but young guys been arrested for it because they were luring their victims using dating sites. So, And it's not just within the gay community. It can be on things like Match.com, Plenty of yeah. Fish, etc., etc. Uh, you know, we've seen cases where people have been murdered because they've met somebody on a mm-hmm. dating website and gone to meet them. Yeah. And yeah, it's come to tragic ends. I so. think Grinders perhaps just come up a few more times because it's more for hookups. Yeah. So I think that's why it's perhaps a little bit easier as well to, to meet somebody for... Um, you're there thinking they're just meeting you for a one-night stand, but actually you're meeting them for something a bit more terrifying like this guy like you wouldn't necessarily think it's anything out of the ordinary i mean the first guy obviously was like oh i don't want to do it in a car Mm, i feel like you probably knew you were going to do it in a car didn't you (laughs) so the police asked daryl if he was hiv positive and he said that he wasn't despite being diagnosed as such just 12 months earlier so i've seen the police interviews and he just barefaced lies to them 
Sussex police bailed Darrell into the custody of Scottish police and as part of strict bail conditions he was closely monitored and ordered to take an HIV test and to then start HIV treatment when the result came back as positive. He was allowed to stay with his foster parents back in Scotland and he moved back in with them. Darrell's mum Jackie said she was just relieved to have him back home where she could look after him. She said he looked unhealthy like he hadn't been looking after himself and she said he was resigned to the fact that he was going to be going to jail for what he'd done. During a heart to heart she said he apologised to her and his dad Harry for letting them down and she told him how surprised they were that he'd done this because he'd always been so against violence growing up as a child. She said she ran in baths and cooked him roast dinners and Daryl spent a lot of time out walking the family's dog but after just a few days he made a run for it and set up camp a few miles away in the Pentland Hills high above Edinburgh. During a search for him police discovered an abandoned tent with HIV medication inside with Daryl's name on it. If he wasn't taking his medication he was once again at risk of being infectious. And actually, um, this is going to freak you out, Bethan, because I didn't include it in this. Um, but he had never really taken HIV medication. So mm. when he was initially diagnosed about a year before um, where we're at now, where he's gone on the run yeah. in the Pentland Hills, um, he refused to take any medication, instead looking at homeopathic remedies. Mm. And one such remedy was to drink his own urine. Oh, for God. I, why did I not see this coming? I'm sorry, which I know, well, we both hate that. But, um, yeah, we particularly hate it's it. It's never going to fix you. It's waste coming out of you. Your body didn't want to use it for whatever goodness. So it's, oh, don't drink it. So I think off the top of my head, I know we had Jodie Jones. Um, yeah. The guy, the, the young lad that was responsible for her murder was doing exactly the same. I don't think he was HIV positive, but he was drinking his own piss. And then we also had the murder of Stuart Ludlam, the yeah, taxi the driver. He was drinking his own weird He was drinking his own piss. Um, and he would kind of like hoard bottles and bottles of it in his own house. And yeah, we kind of said, if you know anyone that drinks their own piss, just report them to the police. Get the fuck away from them. Yeah, because just they're definitely up to no good. Oh, unless it's like literally you're stranded in the middle of the desert and you needed to drink something to keep your energy up. That is, I don't know that if is it the works only time like that. I will allow someone to do, like as if I'm the police of letting people drink their own way, but that is the only time I'll allow it. But it's disgusting, isn't it's it? It's still disgusting. So Jackie recalls feeling let down once again because Daryl had spoken about facing up to his actions, getting his health back on track, but the fact that he wasn't taking his medication led her and the police to believe that he was reoffending once again because that was basically his MO, not to take any medication um, and to go around infecting yeah. people with the virus because had he been taking the medication, he wouldn't have had a high viral load and the likelihood of him transmitting the virus would have been yeah. like slim to none. Mm. By November 2016, around 22 men had come forward with allegations against Daryl and there was a nationwide hunt on to find him at this point. Um, he was a really dangerous predator. By now he was going by the name Gary Cole and was hiding out in Newcastle, which is just south of the Scottish border, which I think is quite um, relevant. I think that means that uh, once again, he's not in the kind of jurisdiction of the Scottish police. Yeah, I think that's so. A it really probably good thing. kind of makes it more difficult for him to be found again. I think it shows that he's aware of that as well. Yeah. So again, it's calculated. So with no job, no money, and needing somewhere to stay, Daryl set about ensnaring his next victim. Tom had created a profile on the popular dating site Plenty of Fish because he had always found it difficult to approach men. 
When Daryl got in touch telling him that he had nice eyes and liked his hair and the way that he dressed, Tom felt flattered. He was attracted to Daryl and said he could have seen himself falling in love with him. Oh, that's heartbreaking, isn't it? This is a guy that just wanted love, yeah. Mm. Three days after the pair met, Daryl told Tom that he was having some issues with a friend that he was staying with in Sunderland, and Tom said he could stay with him whilst he sorted somewhere more permanent out, and so the couple ended up living together for the next three months. Tom said there was a honeymoon period initially and everything was going well. However, this quickly changed and Daryl, or Gary as he was now calling himself, started going out all night and when he was at home with Tom, he was really controlling and saying things like, I don't want to be with you and telling him that um, he couldn't also watch the news, which I guess was because he was Mm, fearful that he'd be on there. Definitely. But yeah, he was really controlling and he was just saying like that horrible stuff like, I don't want to be with you. And I'd be like, well, just fuck off then. It's my house. You want, you really want to say that to, it's, it's Tom, isn't it? You really yeah. want to say to him, just look, you're a better guy than this. Like, you deserve so much better. You just want to go give him a cuddle, don't you? I really feel for this guy, oh, yeah. And, and like so many other people, he's in this abusive relationship and obviously can't see a way out because he really felt like this was someone he could fall in love with and he wanted to make it work. It's so sad. And obviously this was an intimate relationship, so we'll come on to the fate of Tom um, in, a, in a moment. The police investigation continued and one officer found Daryl on a male escort website and although his face wasn't present, the officer recognised Daryl's penis mm. from pictures hey. he'd seen on Daryl's phone when it had been confiscated. Can you imagine that? Being the one to go, excuse me, Sarge, um, might have cracked the case a little bit, but... I found the bastard. Oh, well, I can't see his face. Well, that's his no, dick. No, but also what's weird about his... Or like, there must not be necessarily something... weird, but like what's outstanding yeah. or unusual. Oh, well, we don't want to use that word outstanding. <laughs> no, that makes it sound like it's a good thing. Yeah, but yeah, I think you're right. There's got to be mm. some kind of um, defining marks on there. I've got image in my head now. I Let's think you're picturing Daryl's erect penis right now. Oh, like I've, I'm thinking of like green and like curved, um, but... Um, anyway, so the mobile number on this kind of escort profile was traced to Tom's home, the man that Daryl had been living mm-hmm. with in Sunderland. Tom remembers the officers arriving one morning. He woke up to the sound of his dogs barking, went downstairs to open the front door and stood before him were a number of police officers. One asked if he lived on his own and when he said that he lived with his partner, one of the detectives asked him to describe him. Tom said he was five foot ten, had a Scottish accent, and as soon as he said Scottish accent, two officers ran past him and went upstairs. But Daryl had scarped out of the window, likely into the back garden. When officers went into the garden to investigate further, there was Daryl lying on the ground, incapacitated after falling from the window, nah. crying in pain with a broken back. Police had finally caught up with their man. Officers spoke to Tom and told him Daryl's true identity and they said that they believed he had been Daryl's last victim. So Tom took an HIV test and despite it coming back negative, he still felt utterly betrayed by the man that he'd loved. I mean, I'm so glad for him that he's not got HIV. But again, he's been duped for three months. And yeah, what a shame, you know, this guy Mm. was just looking for love innocently and landed with an absolute dickhead. I really hope he learns to trust people again because... I don't know how you do. I don't know how you come back from that. No. But I really, really hope that he does. 
And again, like Tom features in the BBC Three documentary, oh, he that's seems brave. like yeah, he seems like quite an, like a nice, normal guy. Like he, obviously, he's affected by this, but he's not. I don't think he's traumatized. I want to be or his not friend. now anyway. I want to be. Reach I want to go to and him. reach out to him and hang out with him. So, as I said at the beginning of the episode, Daryl was found guilty of ten offences and given a life sentence um, with that minimum term of twelve years. He was also found guilty of four counts of culpable and reckless conduct at the High Court in Edinburgh and sentenced to an eight-year prison term by then. And I've not really been able to find out whether they um, those two terms run concurrently. Um, so I don't know if he's actually sentenced to like 20 years or... Oh, I hope so. He should be. Yeah. Mm. But it's the first time we've ever come across this where somebody's been sentenced by courts in two different countries effectively. Mm-hmm. Speaking after the Edinburgh court case, DCI Martin McLean of Police Scotland said, Daryl Rowe is a devious and deceptive predator who has shown absolutely no remorse for the extensive suffering and distress he has caused his victims. Since April 2015, he was fully aware of his illness, yet refused treatment that would have ensured his own health and safeguard his sexual partners from the risk of infection. To make matters worse, he would then knowingly engage in sexual activity with individuals he met without divulging his condition. And then finally, Roe would then go to great lengths to ensure he put partners at risk of contracting HIV, demonstrating the callous and reckless nature of his character. It is my sincere hope that all of those affected by Daryl Rowe's calculated criminality feel some sense of justice after today's outcome. So just briefly going back to the subject of criminalising the deliberate transmission of HIV, as we kind of said, there's been a number of articles written about that um, by people like Edwin J. Bernard of the HIV Justice Network. And these people are campaigning to decriminalise the transmission of HIV. And the groups, as I said at the beginning, are concerned that criminalising the transmission of the virus contributes to the stigma still affecting people living with HIV and AIDS around the world. Professor Matthew Waite, who has worked with the World Health Organization and UNAIDS, believes HIV transmission should be treated as a public health concern rather than a criminal matter. Recognising that Daryl treated his partners with contempt, Professor Waite suggests that one way to police people who maliciously spread the virus without stigmatising it would be to criminalise a quote, breach of sexual trust, or quote, the failure to treat a sexual partner with dignity or respect instead. I just think, like, nobody's saying that it's the actual disease that's the issue, it's the spreading it on purpose. So, like, nobody's saying that getting Ebola is like this real stigmatised thing. Well, I suppose it's very different and it is a different situation, but if you purposefully went and infected someone with Ebola, that's criminal. Mm. I just seriously do not... Maybe it's because I've, I'm lucky enough not to have ever been affected by something like this, so I don't know much about the stigma around it, but just, of course, purposefully infecting someone is a bad thing. I just don't... I don't know, I don't get that at all. And I think using those terms, like breach of sexual trust, is just too ambiguous. Oh my God, that's such a grey area. And I think when you've got like a, a defence lawyer in a court, they're going to easily manipulate that. Yeah, So that their definitely. client can get away with It's what hard enough when you try and prove a rape case in court. So let alone, let alone when you try and say, well, here's my very ambiguous statement around why this was wrong. Yeah, I just think that's so bizarre. 
Um, and one of Daryl's victims, Lenny, agrees with that because he said um, he believed it was important for Daryl to be dealt with by the criminal justice system. And he said, I think that anybody who does what he did should definitely be held accountable. He added, he should definitely be in jail, not just for what he did to me, but for everybody else as well. So just finally, Lenny also said he was really worried when he got diagnosed. Um, he said he thought he was going to be that person no one is ever going to be with. But while there's still some prejudice, he said in the gay community, a lot of people really don't care. And he said he's had one negative experience with somebody that he was dating. But other than that, it's not really affected him. That's really good to know. Because I think I'd be nervous to have a sexual encounter with someone knowing Absolutely, that they were yeah. positive for HIV. I think that would... For me, that would be a very scary sort of situation. But I hope that the prejudices perhaps are more from a fear and then people can be educated rather than prejudice in its basic form of just for no reason. Yeah, and it goes back to what we said that um, maybe there is, hopefully there is a bit less stigma now. Mm. Um, and maybe that's because it's more treatable. Even though so. it can't be cured. So, yeah. um, so I thought that was a, a positive-ish note to end on. No pun intended. Positive-ish. Oh. That's bad, isn't it? Yeah. No, I don't like that. <laughs> so, you <she> tried. <laughs> so let us know what you thought of the case, what you think of Daryl's sentence. I honestly don't think that we've done a recording where I've said, ugh, as many times as I have about Daryl Rowe. Yeah, just, I think oh, just the, the way like he him. so deliberately went out and did mm-hmm. this. I don't know, we've encountered other, like, you know, awful people like Joanna Dennehy, but, you know, that was very deliberate, but it was kind of over before it started with her. I think it's so difficult, isn't it? Because he hasn't killed anybody. So on that rationale, actually he's better than a lot of the people we've talked mm. about. But and equally, yet I have so much hatred for him. But he's also almost like a serial killer. Obviously, like you say, he's not killed anyone, but he's got this kind of campaign that he's going around infecting these people, mm. probably having periods of time where he's just kind of getting on with his normal life. It's psychotic, yeah. really, isn't it? And I suppose when you take someone's life, you have obviously left their family and their friends to grieve and they're not there anymore, but they're not there anymore. Where he has left these people living the rest of their lives with Yeah, it's still a life sentence, and, yeah. yeah. It's a chronic disease, so, yeah. Mm. So um, Interesting case there, though, because it is a Bit departure. of a different one, departure mm-hmm. for us, yeah. Um, so, yeah, as we said, uh, let us know what you think. Get in touch with us in all of the usual ways. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. You can search for us on um, all of those by searching Seeing Red, a UK true crime podcast. Go on, give us a follow. Oh, that was cheesy. But, he, but he's right. Yeah, just do it. <laughs> um, come comment and chat with us because we do love love hearing from you all. Um, you can email us as well. Mark will do the email so beautifully and eloquently. Info at seeingredpodcast.co.uk. So fuck you, Bethan, because I didn't you know did it. You did do it really well. Yeah, normally I fuck good. it up. Yeah, you do. Usually takes about three takes. Um, but yeah, send us an email. We've had a couple of emails recently from people, so that's really great. Um, we always try and get back to everybody as well as quick as possible. So yeah, keep in touch with us, guys. Yeah, we'll see you next time. See ya. Bye. Bye.